It is the Healthy Families Podcast, and my name is Jenny Hatch. I'm the host. Recently, Jimmy Dore had Robert Kennedy Jr. on his show to talk about Dr. Fauci. And I heard some things that I've never heard before, and I've read Kennedy's book, The Real Dr. Fauci, and I've followed this story for a long time, so I had to share this interview. It's a little bit challenging to hear him because his voice is so gravelly. So listen up, because it's just mind-bending information. Again, this the is Pentagon was Jimmy Dore. worried about actually launching a full-blown bioweapons arms race, because they said nobody, you know, this is very sketchy. The Patriot Act, you know, exemptions are very sketchy, and people don't even know about it. And so they didn't want to do it, so they took the money that Cheney gave them, $2.2 billion, and they funneled it through NIH, and it all went through Anthony Fauci. So beginning in 2002, Anthony Fauci got a 68% raise from the Pentagon for doing bioweapons development, and he got a raise of billions of dollars a year to do it, and then he started building doing that's when they started doing all this gain of function and then in 2014 three of those bugs escaped in high profile escapes from different labs in the united states Fauci to build all these new labs at bu at galveston to do the to do his shenanigans and so four or three of the bugs escaped and they they received publicity they made a small box and a lot of really bad things and then Congress held hearings on it. Everybody was angry. These bugs escaped, and 300 scientists, top scientists, sent letters to Obama saying, you've got to shut down Anthony Fauci because he's going to create a pandemic. And so Obama ordered a moratorium, and at that time, Fauci had 18 different uh, gain-of-function experiments he was doing around the United States. But, uh, Obama ordered him to shut them all down but he didn't he instead moved his stuff offshore to wuhan where he could do it out of sight of these 300 scientists and nosy white house officials who were trying to shut him down and they continued to do it with ralph barrack the same people he was funding here ralph barrack and peter dayzak and they moved their operations to the wuhan lab is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain of function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. I'm out of time. Thank you. Okay, so there's two things I want to ask. First of all, what uh, if that's true, then didn't the United States government, under the tutelage of Fauci, under his direction, didn't they created this pandemic then that killed millions of people? Aren't they now mass murderers? Am I wrong about this? What am I missing? Yeah, and what he said, what I, I like what Redfield said because he's right on that it was, you know, Fauci, um, really, Fauci uh, did, funded the study that, uh, that taught the Chinese or military scientists that everything in China is dual use. And that, that lab is a military lab. And he taught them cutting edge technology for building weapons of mass destruction. Not only did he teach them that, but in other words, the, the study for how to create the clones and then how to take and how to 
uh, create a spike protein that could attach to the human lung and transplant it onto a coronavirus. He also funded through Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, a technique called the seamless legation technique, which is a technique for hiding human tampering on that virus after you've done it. Because normally that virus, anybody can look at that virus and say that was made in a lab. Barrick, Fauci funded Barrick in $212 million. And Barrick developed a technique for hiding the human tampering. He calls it the no seam technique, also known as seamless legation. Okay, it's the seamless legation claim that I have never heard. And like I said, I followed it intently. I've read a lot of the literature, a lot of the research, and I've never heard about this level of malfeasance. And I think this is a smoking gun. That if there was this much intentionality around this virus, making it appear as if it was natural, came up from nature, was not manufactured in a lab, that right there is evidence of planning, forethought, covering your ass type behavior. And, uh, you know, it's a smoking gun. He taught that to Xi Li. Chinese fat lady. So, and there's, you know, Fauci said, well, we were doing this for vaccine development and countermeasures. There is no justification in the world for funding somebody to create seamless legation, a no seam hided, you know, that uh, has any medical benefit whatsoever. In fact, it's the opposite, it's the inverse of what you would do if your interest was public health. If your interest was bioweapons creation and he was the czar of bioweapons since 2002, that's what you would do. But why did he teach it to the Chinese? Um, and more importantly, why was he, as Redfield just pointed out, why was USAID, USAID gave 10 times what Fauci gave. The Department of Defense was there. Why were they in that Wuhan lab teaching those Chinese scientists how to build weapons of mass destruction? Um, and then the CIA, which, you know, the USAID is a, a, a CIA front group. EcoHealth Alliance is a CIA front group. Why was the CIA, the CIA modeled this, this outbreak in 2019 two times? The second time at Event 201, and who was at Event 201? Avril Haines co-hosted it with Bill Gates. And the head of this Chinese CDC, George Gao, was there. George, the, the virus was already circulating in Wuhan at that time. Nobody knew it, but George Gao had to know it. He's the head of the Chinese CDC and the Chinese number one expert on coronavirus. He comes to New York in October of 2019 and sits down with Abraham Haynes, the former deputy director of the CIA, today the director of national intelligence, the top spy in our country, and, and says, and they do a, a four-part simulation, and the fourth part is, how do we hide it? And anybody can go on YouTube right now, and I, I can't believe they left it up there. You can go on there, look at Event 201, and look at simulation number four, and they're talking about George Gale and Avril Haynes, are talking about how do we how do we get people 
censor the social media if they start saying this is from a lab leak. This is before anybody ever heard of coronavirus. Wow. Of, of, that's October uh, 2019. Now, when we know from the Vanity Fair article that the intelligence agent, when Mike Pompeo, who is the Secretary of State, tells the state, like five State Department branches, find out where this came from. Did it come from the Wuhan lab? Those guys go over and they say, holy cow, they had all this technology that we were teaching them and they were using humanized mice to see if they could create a pandemic with coronavirus. And we gave them, Ralph Barrett gave them the humanized mice. And they were saying, you know, they, they had a meeting to figure out how to deal with this. The intelligence agencies came to that meeting and told them, shut it down. This investigation is over. So the State Department investigation they just shut down in March of 2020. And then that gets out and Congress puts pressure on Biden. And Biden says, okay, I'm going to order the intelligence agencies to do an investigation to find out if it came from the Wuhan lab. Who does he put in charge of that? Avril Haynes, the woman who in October of 2019 was modeling how do we hide it if it came from the, you know, if we get came from, uh, if it's a lab leak. Meanwhile, we now know from the Twitter pages, papers that the CIA was working with Twitter that had a portal through the FBI portal on Twitter where they were censoring information, that kind of information. So this, the CIA's, you know, was not only funding that, that technology and was probably responsible for it, the infection, the contagion, but they also have been surreptitiously running the cover-up from day one. It's not just Fauci. It's bigger than Fauci. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain of function research that created... Here is Dr. Anthony Fauci in January of 2017, just 10 days before the Trump inauguration. He claimed that the Trump administration would face a quote, surprise outbreak. The coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. There will be a surprise outbreak. There will be a surprise outbreak. So I'm wondering how he knew there would be a surprise outbreak. Maybe he is clairvoyant. So I found this great quote from Nigel Farage talking about President Trump. Love you, Nigel. Came to America during those months in the run-up to November 16 to spread a very simple message, which was, we beat the establishment, we beat the pollsters, we beat the media, we beat everybody. And I believe that Trump could do the same thing, and boy, he did. And I want to say this, I think... He did an amazing job as president. Yes, to begin with, it was a little bit chaotic. Of course it was. He was absolutely brand new, you know, in that viper's nest of right. Washington. But his, his achievements on foreign policy, America's standing in the world, turning from being a warmonger into being a peacemaker. I thought that was very significant. I don't think President Trump gets enough credit for being a peacemaker. 
maker, and so that is why I'm highlighting these quotes. There were no new wars with President Trump, and he's claiming now that he's going to stop World War III. He believes we're on the cusp of World War III, but he claims he can stop it. And boy, I'm anxious for him to have a chance to try. That would be a miracle. So this next clip is of the so-called proof that everyone in the Democrat camp, and heck, even a few Republicans are claiming is evidence that it was Trump-era policies that caused Silicon Valley Bank to crash. If only Trump would have left those regulations in place, none of this would have happened. So here's the clip from May of 2018. I'm signing today rolls back the crippling Dodd-Frank regulations that are crushing community banks and credit unions nationwide. They were in such trouble. One size fits all. Those rules just don't work. And community banks and credit unions should be regulated the same way. And you have to really look at this. They should be regulated the same way with proviso for safety as in the past when they were vibrant and strong, but they shouldn't be regulated the same way as the large complex financial institutions. And that's what happened. And they were being put out of business one by one and they weren't lending since its passage in 2010 Dodd-Frank has dealt a huge blow to community banking. As a candidate, I pledged that we would rescue these community banks from Dodd-Frank, the disaster of Dodd-Frank. And now we are keeping that commitment and all of the people with me are keeping that commitment. We passed and signed a record number of bills terminating job killing regulations in the history of our country. No president, whether it's four years, eight years or 16 years in one case has ever passed more regulation cuts. So it's been fun today to go out and read all the economic news because you have just everything under the sun being said and claimed about who did what and why this or that happened. But I'm just really enjoying those who are blaming President Trump. So it's like they can't quite see the Biden policies that may have led to what has been happening or the Fed lowering interest rates, raising interest rates. Remember during the Obama era when they lowered interest rates almost down to zero? And then Trump comes in and they raise interest rates and raise them again and again and again because his economy took off like a rocket and they didn't want that. So we'll, we'll tamp it down, raise up the interest rates higher than they've been in 40 years to tamp down President Trump's economy. If they had left the interest rate as, as a reasonable, you know, three, four percent, um, there is possibility that the GDP could have gone up to eight, nine percent. As it is, it went up sometimes six, seven percent. As predicted, as known by anyone who understands Austrian economics, this is the market roaring. And it will roar again when this man comes back into office. And all of this inflation and blaming, raging costs of gas and food, all of it, all of the shenanigans around the lies that are told in the media about what is what, it's all just going to be wiped away 
by the evidence of a, a roaring American economy. And I can't wait for it to happen. I'm so excited for the sake of my kids and my grandkids that they will get to live during these times. The only thing that makes me sad is the number of people who are sick right now, really suffering, medical bills out the Yahoo, who don't know what, what is what in terms of their own health. Why did my cancer come back, flare back up after 10 years in remission? Why is it worse than ever? Why am I infertile? Why can't I hold on to a baby? Why can't I get pregnant? What's wrong with my kids? Why are they all mentally ill? All of a sudden, all of this damage that's been resulting because of side effects from the vaccines, that's the part that, that sobers me and makes me sad. But I'm excited about everything else, and I think the future's so bright and hopeful that I have to be in a hopeful place. So CPAC was kind of the kickoff to the Trump campaign for 2024, and it was a great speech. I encourage everybody to go watch it. But yesterday in Iowa was the true kickoff first campaign speech of President Trump's campaign, and it was a banger of a speech. I love this speech. So I'm going to share about 20 minutes of it with you because it was just so good. And then if anyone shows up, we can talk. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you, great governor. That was beautiful. That was beautiful energy. He's got that energy. Thank you. I wish we could have gotten everybody in. You have to see outside. There's so many people want to get in. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. We're going to have a good time together. It's great to be in Davenport. I come back to Davenport all the time. It's been really good to us. We won, all, you know, we won this uh, wonderful state. This is the greatest. We won Iowa twice. We won Iowa twice. And unfortunately, we're going to have to do it a third time because something happened the second time. Nobody knows what that is. But we're going to do it a third time. But I just want to thank all of the great people of Iowa. I'm proud to be the home of the first in the nation caucuses. And we kept it that way, Kim, didn't we? We kept it that way. As president, I fought hard and won to protect Iowa's first in the nation status and the Republican Party. Uh, a lot of people called me about it, including your governor. And I said, we're doing it. That's where it's going to be. It's where it's going to be for a long time. As long as I'm around, I'm telling you, it's going to be. The Democrats did it a little bit differently, didn't they? They, they chose a different order. I want to thank 
Kevin Reynolds also, because he's been a friend of my sons and a friend of mine. They like hunting, and they're the only two. You know, a long while ago, we had a uh, situation where Kevin and my son Don went out hunting with a certain gentleman who we love, a certain governor, previous governor, and they had a very cold weather. The only two that didn't show up for three days back, everyone came back in about 15 minutes, it was too cold, were Don and Kevin. Do you remember that, Kevin? They said, what happened to those two? Those two could take the weather. There was no problem. They came back. They said, what's the problem? But I just want to thank you very much, Kevin. Great job. Great job you've done. Don says hello. I also want to congratulate and thank Lieutenant Governor Adam Greg. Adam, thank you very much. Former Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker, a friend of ours for a long time. He's been a great gentleman. And your former congressman, who I endorsed very, very strongly, we had a good run with Rod Blum. Thank you. Thank you, Rod. Good job. State Representative Brooke Bowden. Thanks, Brooke. Scott, County Sheriff of the most beautiful family, Tim Lane. Thank you, Tim. Iowa Republican Party Chair Jeff Kaufman. Scott County GOP Chair Juanita McNulty. That's a nice day. One of the first elected officials to endorse me. I love this guy. He was so early. He endorsed me before, before I was even running. He said, you know, that guy would be good. Those are the guys we really like. Huh? State Senator Brad John. Thanks, Fred. I also want to thank my Iowa senior advisor, Representative Bobby Kaufman, and many of his colleagues. Bobby is so good. So good. And such a good job. We're looking at those poll numbers. They're looking very good, I want to tell you. You know, you can tell by the crowds outside. You can tell by the crowds. But his colleagues in the Iowa House and Senate who are here, and uh, they've all endorsed me, and I really appreciate that, including state senators Jeff Reichman, Charlie McClintock, state representatives Craig Johnson, Ann Osmundson, and I love that name, Mark Cisneros, Steve Bradley, Derek Wolf, Heather Hora, Brad Sherman, Cindy Golding. And by the way, you know what we're going to do a little bit later? If we have a little time left, which I think we will, we'll take a few questions. Does anybody want to answer? You can ask me anything you want. Unlike Biden, you can ask me whatever the hell you want. I've never seen anything like it. The other day they were asking questions and he was reading the answer off a teleprompter. He said, I've never, they've never done that for me. But we'll do some questions and answers if you want. Uh, we'll finish up and we'll have a little fun, okay? You can say anything you want. You can give me the worst, toughest, most horrible question. Who cares, right? Who the hell cares? For seven years, our MAGA movement, the greatest in political history, there's never been anything like this, has been taking on all of the evil and sinister forces trying to destroy America's future. You know that. You know it better than most. 
We stand up to the globalists. We stand up to the Marxists. Marxists. Remember, I said we will never have socialism. That train left socialism a long time ago. Never even stopped at that station. We stand up to the crooked Democrat prosecutors all over the country. If I fly over a state that happens to be Democrat, let's call them into a grand jury. They have never, nobody's ever weaponized like this group of people. They're maniacs. We stand up to the rhinos, communists, and the anti-energy extremists. We stand up to the open borders fanatics and the pro-China special interests and the fake news media, of which we have quite a bit of it right here. We put workers first, we put farmers first, and above all, we put America first. We put America first. In our four incredible years, and they were incredible years, we achieved more for Iowa than any president in American history. It's not even a contest. And in particular, the farmers, they know better than anybody, working hand-in-hand with Iowa's leaders. I was the most pro-farmer president that has ever been in the White House by far. I was rated that by everybody because I appreciate the farmers. I know how smart they are, how good they are, and how hard they work. Nobody in history did more for farmers of our country, the great farmers, than I did. To protect family farms, I virtually eliminated the unfair estate tax or death tax. You know, remember I used to say, look, I'm trying to get this passed. I don't know if I can get it. But if I do, if you love your children, you can leave your farm to your kids. If you don't love it, you don't have to worry about tax. No tax! They call it a death tax. That's not a nice word, but, you know, very appropriate. If you don't like your kids that much or if you don't like them at all, which happens on occasion, don't leave them a thing. The tax won't help you. Don't worry about it. Does anybody in here not like their children? Oh, be careful. Oh, we got to be careful with that. (laughs) The problem is the fake news media is going to report that as fact. You know that. You're going to have a lot of explaining to do. He loves his boy. He loves his family. We also gave a giant tax cut to family farms that operate as pass-through entities, a big thing for you farmers, which constitute more than 90% of all agricultural production in the United States. So we got the pass-through done. Nobody thought it could be done. I repealed Barack Hussein Obama's ridiculous waters of the United States. Do you know what that is? It sounds so nice, Kim. It sounds so nice. Waters of the United States. I said, I'm going to get killed because the only thing good about it was the title, Waters of the United States. And uh, I repealed it, a federal power grab, but over every ditch and every puddle on private land that make it sound like it was a lake, you couldn't use your property. They really were taking your property away. I'll never forget when I did it. I had a group of farmers and builders, home builders, standing behind me, about 50 of them. And when I did it, half of them, these are men, and in some cases, about five women, they never cried in their life before, maybe when they were a baby, in their mother's arms. But they're not criers. Half of the people were crying. I gave them back their rights. I gave them back their property. I mean, it was an incredible... (laughs) 
And our Department of Agriculture cut seven old regulations for every one new regulation, saving farmers and taxpayers $262 billion a year at least. I ended the NAFTA disaster. That was a disaster. Worst trade deal ever made. And I replaced it with something you like very much with the USMCA, Mexico and Canada, best trade deal ever made. You know how you know it's good? Mexico and Canada want to renegotiate the deal. I see they're up there. We want to renegotiate. It's not working so well. We want everybody to be happy, but it's better that way than the other way. For many, many, for decades, we had to live with NAFTA. What a disaster it was. But the USMCA, we're very proud of that. Everyone said that's another thing couldn't be done. We did a lot. At my personal insistence to Prime Minister Trudeau, the USMCA pride open Canada's dairy, poultry, and egg markets for American producers. They were shutting us out. You have no idea what they were doing. I stood up to China like no administration has ever done before. Then I brought in hundreds of billions of dollars of tax and tariffs and all sorts of revenue pouring into our treasury from China when no other president had ever gotten literally 10 cents, nothing. They came in and they took our country by storm and we stopped it and we made one of the greatest trade deals ever. We were mistreated by China and our farmers were mistreated more than anybody else. And I took a list as to what amount that bad treatment was. And I went to our, really, he did a great job, Sonny Perdue, Secretary of Agriculture. I said, Sonny, let me ask you a question. I want you to figure out over the next couple of days or sooner, how much money did China rip off our farmers in this country? You have to tell me. He got back to me and he Gave me it on a yearly count over a few years, but the total was $28 billion. And I told China, you have to pay it. And you know what? They paid it. They paid it. And you all, many of the people in this audience got a check. I took it out of the tariffs that I charged China. We had a lot of money left over. I can tell you that we had hundreds of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions left over. We took a lot of money to save the steel industry. We saved a lot of industries. We handed checks to the farmers for $28 billion. Did anybody get a check in this room for the farmers? Because you got to be. Yes, good. Not as many as I would have thought. You all got checks, but maybe you're not in that business. But we're all with the farmers, and they got $28 billion. Nobody saw that one coming. That was one that they said, this is incredible. But he also made a deal with China, and the deal with China was a phenomenal one. My people wanted $15 billion in agricultural purchase. I said, you have to buy. And otherwise, we're not going to do business with you and other things other than the farms. And I said, what's the number, $15 billion? I said, did I hear you correctly? I thought they said $50 billion, right? They said $15 billion. I said, I think I heard 50 billion, asked for 50 billion, and they agreed. And that's why you're still doing well today, Kim. You're doing so well today, even though they aren't totally living up to it, it's still more money than anybody thought possible. And the reason they're not totally living it up is I have no respect for the Biden administration, but still more money. That's why the farmers are continuing to do well. But China and the USMCA were just the beginning of our fight for the American farmer. I also got Japan to 
slash or eliminate tariffs on over 90% of U.S. food and agricultural exports. People knew that. What a difference it made. I dealt with the great prime minister, Prime Minister Abe. He was my friend of Japan. And that one who, unfortunately, as you know, was assassinated by a madman. But what a great man he was and his people loved him. But he was very fair to us and we opened it up because we were being treated very unfairly by Japan, as we are by almost everybody, I have to tell you. I can't think of anybody that we made a better deal. We'd like, it's hard to believe that we survived, but of course, we do have $34 trillion in debt. So I don't know if you call that survival. You know, eventually that comes back to haunt you, right? But we didn't make any good deals. We had no good deals, so we made a lot of them great, and some of them phenomenal. The European Union agreed to nearly triple its beef imports and opened its markets, the markets to American soybeans at a level that nobody thought was going to happen. I also won our farmers' gigantic concessions from South Korea, Argentina, Brazil, Guatemala, Tunisia, Ecuador, Morocco, and many, many more. I was working very hard on Europe, and that was going to be a deal that was done because they don't treat us very well. Europe, believe it or not, you know, it sounds nice. A lot of us indirectly come from Europe. Sounds very nice, but they treat us very bad on trade, very badly on trade. And even if you look at the war, if you look at what's going on, we're spending, we're at about $150 billion and they're at about $25 billion. I would say that's not right, you know. Somebody's got to tell them. All you have to do is say, listen, you're delinquent. You got to up it. You got to up it. It's not fair, not fair to our country. But we had a, an election that was uh, not a good situation, not good at all. You've seen a lot of the reasons for it's a disgrace. We got more votes than any sitting president in history by a lot, by millions. We got 75 million votes more. Yeah, that's what they report. They say the other guy got 80. I don't think so. I don't think so. He did one hell of a job from his basement. But that's what it is. It's a very sad situation. In total, I successfully negotiated and renegotiated more than 50 agreements to boost farm exports by more than $60 billion, supporting millions and millions of American jobs. And right here in this room and right here in Iowa, we put workers first, we put farmers first, and above all, we put America first. We put America first. So the whole speech is about two hours with the Q&A, and I found it on C-SPAN, but it's all over the internet if you want to watch the whole thing. His quotes on education were excellent. He's not going to make the American taxpayers fund the demise of our own nation by teaching our children critical race theory, gender studies, and other equity, diversity, and inclusion curriculums, which are so damaging to our little ones, their relationships with their friends. Heck, their relationships with their parents, it's all going to stop, and I look forward to it. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you have a wonderful day.